It is uh, good to be together as extended family, all three sites, uh, one church together. Uh, we're going to be taking an offering at this time. If you're visiting with us, your offering to us is being here with us this morning. We should have connect cards at some point. You could fill out, give us a little bit more information about you, but uh, th- your offering is being here. So let that pass by. Uh, I am excited to be gathered here this morning and, and celebrate the new year. Did anyone make it to midnight? Yeah, I didn't make it to midnight, and, and my wife told me that I had a child who said well, they're going to set their alarm clock because it's not their fault they had boring parents who wouldn't stay up that late. So anyways, if the shoe fits, wear it. I'll wear it. Um, you know, it's good to be here this morning, and I'm really excited about the series that we're going to begin this morning called Saturate Being Disciples of Jesus in the Everyday Stuff of Life. If we don't know each other, my name is Ryan. I'm the site pastor down in Jackson, and I also have the role of pastor of missional living here. And so in light of that role, Mike asked me to kick off our series, Saturate. And so I'm excited to do that. And this is a series where we're seeking to cast vision for where we want to continue to head as a family, as a church. To do that, I want to start with a little video clip. Voyage of the Don Treader happened to be on yesterday on TV. I don't know if anyone saw that. But Lucy, right, she's playing hide-and-go-seek with her family. And she happens upon this awesome room with this majestic wooden wardrobe closet. And she does what you or I would have done. She smiles with delight and decides to pull the sheet off like this is the perfect spot. She gets in, leaving the door ajar. Here's 96, 97. I think they were counting to 100. That's a long hide-and-seek game anyways. She does what anyone does, and she's backing past the fur coats, back and back and back, expecting to hit the back of the wardrobe closet. With All of a sudden, she says, ouch, turns around and realizes she's in a whole new world. And friends, family, our vision is big for this series. We want to cast vision for flinging open the wardrobe closet to a whole new world, a way of following Jesus Christ that is not just for then, 
not just for eternity, but is for now, the everyday, the here and now, where the person of Jesus saturates the everyday stuff of life. And we know that for some of you, the stuff you're going to be hearing over the next five weeks is going to be kind of brand new information that you're going to seek to digest. Others have heard bits and pieces of this and maybe are trying to implement some and yet others are seeking to where their lives are. They've been captured by this vision that the everyday, the everyday life, the normal stuff matters for Jesus. And they're seeking to allow him to impact and influence every area of life. No matter where you're at this morning and over the next five weeks, our prayer is that your hearts would be captured with this vision. That Jesus would saturate our lives as a family in such a way that the everyday stuff matters. That it's all the everyday stuff of life where we can show the power and the presence of Christ to a watching world. In order to get there, though, in order to get there, week one, we, got, we need to talk about the purpose. What's the purpose of being saturated by Christ in the everyday stuff of life. So in order to get there, we're going to start where the Bible starts. It's in the beginning. Usually we tell you to open to a page number and we're going to go through a passage. I'm going to kind of do a tour de force of passages this morning. I'm going to break my own rule. Okay. But we're going to start in Genesis one. If you want to turn there with me, Genesis one, and we're going to look at verse 26 to start it off. This is God speaking about creating Adam and Eve. Genesis one 26. That should be on page one. Like Matt said, that was a joke. Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God made Adam and Eve in his image, in his likeness, and he gave them responsibility to rule over his creation. He was, they were created by him and they were created for him. They were created to reflect his glory to the rest of creation. Through the way that they lived, others were to see and to realize the importance that God had in their life. And the word glory, it actually means like weighty. It actually means heaviness. It's kind of like this. I've got a stone here from when we broke down a retaining wall outside our house. And, you know, this isn't like super heavy. And Scott, you know, you're a strong guy. If you were to feel this, it's not terrible, right? But you notice it. If I were to speak the rest of this message and walk up and down the aisles, whatever, you would notice you're like, you've you've got a stone with you, right? Imagine going to the office on Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday and you've got a stone with you. Imagine spinning with a stone with you. Imagine students, you're going in your middle school classes, changing between periods and you have this with you. Parents of little ones, you're trying to change a diaper with this. Blocking. That was a joke, too. You're going to class. You're going to the workplace. You're in your neighborhood. You're out to dinner. You're taking a walk. You're pushing your kids in the stroller. You're playing on your sports teams. And you have this with you the whole time. People would notice that you have it. And I thought, what a great illustration for the glory of God, that it has a weight, that it has a heaviness in our lives. So when people consistently see us and interact with us as individuals, but even more so as family, they notice that God has weight in our lives. They notice that God is heavy in a positive sense and saturates our lives. 
And so God's plan was to start with Adam and Eve, but out of Adam and Eve, he was to make a people who would show his glory, who would show his importance, who would show his weightiness. Read Genesis chapter 12 with me. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. We teach on this passage quite a bit, right? There was one man who would be made into one people who would be blessed to be a blessing to all people. A people shown God's glory so that those people could show God's glory. People who experience God's glory so others might come to experience God's glory. This is what this might look like if you put that next slide up, Barry. So God's glory is seen and experienced amongst God's people so that I can go to all people. So that God's glory might be experienced and seen amongst God's people. So that it just keeps going and going. That's what God's purpose has been that his people would show his weightiness, his glory, his importance, so that other people who don't yet follow him might come to follow him. This is God's purpose, to saturate the whole earth with his glory. Habakkuk talks about it in this way. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk isn't the only place to talk about this, though. Numbers 14 talks about this. Psalm 72 talks about this. Isaiah 6 talks about this. They all echo this same point as if to say that this is something kind of important. Like this is the purpose of God. By the way, this would just be another way to say make disciples who make disciples. Right? But that God's glory would be experienced by God's people and then shown to all peoples of the earth. To the end that people would experience the glory of God, the importance of God, the weightiness of God when they're in their cubicle at work. That people would experience the glory of God, the weightiness of God, the importance of God when they're on the basketball court with you or the volleyball court or the track and field field or the soccer field. That people would experience the weightiness, the glory, the importance of God that as they're at the YMCA or at your house for a neighborhood party or as you vacation together, that people would in the everyday stuff of everyday life see God's importance, his weight, his glory. And I don't know about you, but this is super empowering for me. This thought is super exciting for me because you know what that means? If this is true, if we believe this family, what this means is that the most important hours to show God's glory are every hour as we leave the doors of West Bend and Jackson and Kewaskum. All of the stuff that happens outside here is an opportunity to show God's glory, his weight, his importance to our friends, to our neighbors, to our classmates, to our family who don't yet follow him with the hope that they might see the goodness of God and come to follow him. Isn't that amazing? Like it all counts. You're like, no, it doesn't. Yes, it does. It all counts. It all matters. And family, if we believe that, how empowering is that? That, and that means that this is a time where we come together and be equipped and encouraged and inspired for that. That's awesome. 
A couple weeks ago, I was um, battling a sinus infection. Anybody ever had a sinus infection? Yeah? Yeah, so I'm like you. I tried to battle it on my own. And finally, when I started to have uh, jaw and teeth pain, I knew that I had kind of got into the breaking point. When it gets to that point, I usually can't kick it myself. So I got a strip and I kind of got a little bit better, but I didn't. Well, in the past, I knew that I had read that if you eat garlic, that can help cure sickness. So I'm like, sweet. And I had done this in the past. I had taken three garlic cloves and cloves, not cloves, three garlic cloves and put them on potato chips, mind you. Just because you have a master's doesn't mean you're smart. I had taken three garlic cloves, put them on potato chips and I kid you not. That was like an out of body experience. But you know how life sometimes has it where you do something, but it's been a long enough time from when you did that thing that you kind of forget about it and it doesn't seem as bad as it was. And so you do it again. You ever been there? So the prescription didn't work and I'm like, well, I'll just eat garlic. Right. And finally, after eating it minced and eating it in my eggs and doing all this, some friends said, no, you got to eat it raw. That's the best way to do it. So I was like, readied myself. You know, got my garlic clove like I have here. I'm not going to eat it here because I wouldn't be able to finish the rest of this. I got my garlic clove and I kind of readied myself and I, I chewed it. I just ate it raw. And I put my hands on the sink and I'm like, why did I just do that? I'd rather be sick. As I went into the office that morning, I was apologizing to people. Anybody know why? Why? The smell. It didn't matter how well I brushed my teeth, and I did, or how much Listerine I swished, and I did, or how much gum I chewed, and I did, because the smell came out from every pore of my body. I couldn't help it. I mean, during my garlic binge, my wife, I went to bed early one time, my wife's like, man, it reeked when I came in the bedroom. You can't hide it. You can't stop it. What a great illustration of the glory of God amongst the people of God, that it would just ooze from it, that it would saturate all of our everyday stuff in our everyday lives, where we can't help but talk about Jesus with those who don't know him, where we can't help but love and serve those who don't know him because it's so saturated our lives. It's so captured our hearts that it just permeates from us. That it just permeates from us. See, that's what will one day be the case. And until then, God says we pray and we live in such a way that the kingdom of heaven might come to earth and be seen through his people. But if we want to see this happen, it has to start with Jesus. It has to start with Jesus. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 with me. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So remember previous slide, God's glory amongst God's people to all people. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That means that if we want to experience God's glory and and show it to all people, that means we need to experience Jesus and show him to all people, right? He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. If we've seen him, we've seen the father, the scriptures say. 
We need to experience the reality of the glory of God and the person of Jesus in our hearts and lives and allow it to saturate us in such a way where we're different. And if you walk away with anything from this series, walk away with your hearts being spurred and affected and changed by the person and work of Jesus Christ. It has to start there. It has to start with him. I think I've shared this illustration before, but it was so pertinent that I wanted to share it again. This comes from a book called Blue Like Jazz by Don Miller. A guy guy I know named Alan went around the country asking ministry leaders questions. He went to successful churches and asked the pastors what they were doing and why what they were doing was working. Sounded very boring. That's funny. Sounded very boring except for one visit he made to a man named Bill Bright, the president of a big ministry, Campus Crusade for Christ. Alan said he was a big man full of life who listened without shifting his eyes. Alan asked a few questions. I don't know what they were. But as a final question, he asked Dr. Bright what Jesus meant to him. Alan said Dr. Bright couldn't answer the question. He said Dr. Bright just started to cry. He sat there in his big chair behind his big desk and he wept. And when Alan told that story, I wondered what it was like to love Jesus that way. I wondered quite honestly if that Bill Bright guy was just nuts or if he knew Jesus in a personal way so well that he'd cry at the very mention of his name. I knew then that I would like to know Jesus like that with my heart, not just my head. I felt like that would be the key to something. And we could explain that away and say, well, yeah, that's just Bill Bright. He's like a super Christian if there were such a thing, which there aren't. But I could tell you an example of a follower of Christ in our family here who regularly, when I pray with them, they too weep because they know Jesus in a personal way. And because of that, he's saturating all parts of their everyday, normal lives. How does this happen, though? How does this happen? The, the glory of God and the person of Jesus saturating our lives, every part of our lives, to where we can't help but show it to a watching world. Let's go to Colossians. Let's go to Colossians, the last verse. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we talk about this all the time, right? We do series on living out on mission, on the most important hours of our life to show God's glory, to make disciples, to show what he's like, to saturate whatever are outside these doors. We say that all the time. Here's something more and more, though, that I think I and we need to apprehend and and practice. If you look at that, look at that verse again. Could you put that back up? Very. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And when I usually read that, I think you, me, singular. Guess what that is, though? It's in the plural. So it's Christ in them at Colossae. It's Christ in us at Kettlebrook. It's Christ in our family that people see him the hope of glory. 
in Kewaskum, in West Bend, in Jackson. And when we can begin to believe this and live in light of our identity, not just individually, which we talk about a lot and we need to, but collectively, watch out. Because people are going to begin to say things like, man, your, your people at Kettlebrook, they, they serve in a way that no other church has ever served our nonprofit before. Man, your people, our people, our family at Kettlebrook is like fostering half of the kids in Washington County. Like your people, they, they seem like they really believe what you're talking about. Like your people, they're, they're everywhere in a good way. You, your people, they throw the best parties. And I mean that in a pure way. Your people, your people, your people. We can't figure out how their lives are geared around loving and serving others. It's just so different. And not just your pastors, not just even your leaders, but your people, the family of God in the church of Kettlebrook are people. Their lives are weighty. We see the importance of Jesus. We see how he changes the everyday. And we can't explain it away. It has to be the power of God. Now, people who don't follow Christ aren't going to use that language, but that's what they're meaning. It has to be God. I want to show you one more video, and then I'll get back up at close. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he left his disciples with a a mission to make disciples of all nations. It's interesting when you think about discipleship these days, a lot of people tend to think it's just a curriculum or a Bible study, maybe a class you attend, maybe just some spiritual disciplines you learn. But when you look at the life of Jesus... It's interesting when you think about discipleship these days, a lot of people tend to think it's just a curriculum or a Bible study, maybe a class you attend, maybe just some spiritual disciplines you learn. But when you look at the life of Jesus with his disciples, you realize for him, discipleship was an all-of-life thing. They ate together, they, they played together, they walked together, they talked together. He knew them, they knew him. They could watch what it looked like to really worship and follow God in everyday life. And so as I define discipleship often, I'll say it's leading people to increasingly submit all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. It's an all-of-life thing. When we see the everyday normal stuff of life as the place in which we could engage in mission, we're actually going to reach everyday people. And we're also going to be able to show them what it looks like to follow Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. See, if all they think of is church is an event you go to, then they think the rest of life doesn't really matter. See, we've got to get away from the idea that the only people who get to be the church are the ones who get to be on a stage on Sunday, or the people who maybe are the professional pastors or leaders. That church is not primarily a Sunday event. 
He lived and died so we could be His people, through whom He fills every part of the world with His presence. He plans to saturate the earth with His glory through us, His church, making disciples of Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. Isn't that an awesome vision? Thank you, Isaac. (laughs) That all of life would be saturated with the goodness, with the power, with the presence of Jesus, that all of life matters, that all the hours we spend in the marketplace, that all the hours we spend parenting, that all the hours we spend in our neighborhood, that all the hours we spend with our hobbies, that all the hours of everything matter. It all matters. Not just in the pastor's lives, but the people's lives. Not just during one hour, but during every hour. Not just in the groups we're in, like triads and small groups and missional communities and youth groups and men's groups and women groups. Not just the events we gather at, but the people who are gathered at those events. It all matters. It's all an opportunity to show the weightiness of Jesus in our lives, the importance of Jesus in our lives. Here's where we're going over the rest of the series. This was week one where we're talking about the purpose of being saturated. Next two, we're going to look at saturate. Next week, we're going to look at being saturated with the power of the gospel to save us from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and then ultimately the presence of sin one day. Weeks three and five, we're going to look at being a saturate people where our identity is one of family who are servant missionaries. That's where we're going to go. Now, one sermon series does not a saturated people make, but it does cast vision for what that life might look like. Here's a couple of shifts. Remember this stone I had? Here's a couple of shifts that we need to make in our minds, though, in order for a life saturated with Jesus not to feel burdensome, but to feel like a blessing that we get an opportunity to be a part of that responsibility he's given us. We need to shift from event to every day. From thinking that the events we gather together at are the primary thing, rather to the everyday is the primary thing. We need to make that shift, otherwise only certain parts of our week will matter spiritually. We need to shift from the afterlife only to all of life. Jesus died for way more than just to save us from the penalty of our sin. He died so that all of our lives, all of our relationships would be saturated with his glory and goodness and power. We need to shift from pastors to people are Christ in us, the family of Kettlebrook, our hope of glory. And we need to shift from individual mission, which is important and needed, to collective mission because Jesus says that by their love, by our love for one another, they'll know we're Christians. Family Lucy was the first one to stumble upon Narnia. And she went back and she told the rest of her brothers and sisters about it. And guess what? They didn't believe her. It wasn't until they, I can't remember if they walked backwards, but it wasn't until they happened upon the land themselves and experienced it that they said, this is it. Family, we're casting vision for a new way of being. No, as I didn't say doing, being the church, but that has to be experienced. So our prayer is that as you hear these messages over the next few weeks, that if they resonate and rebound in your heart, that you would talk about them in your small groups, that you would talk about them with other people and that if the message of being, your life being saturated with the power and presence of Jesus resounds and resonates, that you would seek to find others who are seeking to live a life saturated by Jesus too.
Join me in prayer, please. Father, we pray that you would cause our hearts to be so affected by Jesus that we cannot be the same. We pray that that would result in not only individuals change, but we pray that that would continue to result in our whole family, whether it be Kewaskum or West Bend or Jackson or Kettlebrook collectively, continue to show the goodness, the glory, the power of God to all people. Not just over there, but right here. Not just then, but right now. Father, empower us, speak to us, change our hearts to this end. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.